Nobody helped him down. I purposely didn't bring my cane. Well, you tried to raise a little this last yeah, week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always great to come back to Shepherd and uh, to see you all friends. Uh, the last uh, few times that I've come, people have expressed concern uh, for my marriage uh, and um, because Lois was not with me. And so today I brought my first wife. Uh, and it happens to be Lois, too. So she's over there, with, and, and by the way, my first niece, Ellen, is also with her. So we have a lot of firsts going on today, for sure. Uh, this is actually, um, I'm preaching a protracted series called Meet Your Maker. This is the most protracted, ex, you know, extended series. There's not a lot of messages in it, but usually they're separated by three or four months, something like that along the way. So you have an outline uh, in your bullet, and I believe some areas for you to fill in some blanks. Tommy doesn't make you to work th- that hard, but, but I'm going to make you work a little bit today as we are talking about these different attributes of God. And today we're talking about our unchangeable God, our unchanging God, using the word he is immutable. Before we move further, however, I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer. Jesus, thank you for... Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church, thank you for her history, thank you for her present, and thank you as well for her future. And I ask today, as we just look at some very important basic truths about who you are, that we'll find ourselves encouraged and directed. And we pray these things in the wonderful, strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Bob Dylan, you guys are probably much too spiritual to remember that name, but you probably had some friends that knew about Bob Dylan, and he wrote a song a while back called, Things They Are, what? A-changing, that's right, Things They Are A-changing, and you start to think of the things we use constantly that would scarcely have been dreamed about not that long ago. Things like FaceTime, uh, live stream, Zoom, hybrid and electric cars, virtual doctor appointments, have you had one of those yet? Virtual doctor appointments. And one of the greatest changes that I'm aware of recently is that Scott Winters has a Corvette. <laughs> I mean, that, that is a big deal, Scott. That's, that's a, that just shows that things really are uh, changing. And some, oh, oh, I understand, I understand, but I still got to see it one of these days, that's for sure. <laughs> well, even though we kind of grumble about some of the changes, especially with the technology and stuff, we use it pretty regularly and are quite frankly, very grateful for it. Not only are things changing, but we're changing. And the people around us are changing, constantly going through changes. The way we act, the way we feel, the way we think, the way we dress, the way we talk, even the way we look. Maybe you heard about the guy who loaned his friend some money so that he could get some plastic surgery. And he's so frustrated because he tried to collect the money, but he didn't know what the guy looked like anymore. So that's a problem. We're told the average person will change careers three times in their life. Not jobs, but careers three times in his or her life. People get married, they have children, they divorce Uh, They move, they remarry, they have families, babies are born, health changes take place, even those who don't ride motorcycles go through health changes along the way. Babies are born and people pass away. 
Uh, and today, Janet, it's just different being here without John Taylor. But I want to tell you something, just a little aside. That service for John was outstanding. Tommy did a masterful job. The Applins did a wonderful job on music. John, I know, was honored by the things that were done, making his passing appropriate. And now, of course, everything's changed for him, hasn't Because he is in the presence of the Lord, and that's a great thing. All this change, positive and negative, however, creates stress. They used to call them life change units. So whether it's good stuff that happens or bad stuff that happens, it has an impact on our lives. And for that reason, we kind of um, look for people or things that seem more predictable, that seem stable, even traditional. And that's why some people come to church. They want things to be so predictable that they can go to, to this place, the same place every week, see familiar faces that they're used to, and in some cases sing the same songs that they have been song, singing forever. I'm, I'm in, a, in a consultation relationship with the church, and one of the things they told me is that they have not changed their worship order since 1985. They do the exact thing, same things at the same time. Now, guys like me come along, and we try to tinker with stuff and upset stuff, but I understand that there's something comforting in a changing world about having some things that don't change, some things that you really can count on. In these times of unprecedented change, is there anyone or anything that doesn't change? And of course, the answer to that is, yes, there is. God never changes. I, the Lord, do not change. You can always count on God to be God. Because, and this is the big word we're using today, you can impress your friends if you'd never heard this word before, but God is immutable. Even though God never changes, he is so vast in his personality and character and attributes that we're always discovering new stuff about him. It's not that he's becoming new, it's just that he is so vast that we just are overwhelmed when we see new facets or characteristics of him. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins fresh every, every day. Today we're going to look at three things about God that never change. Now we're not going to we're not going to cover these subjects any way close to because they're just so vast in what they are. But knowing these things about God can help bring, I think, a fresh sense of security and confidence in our hectic, changing lives. So here's some things about God that do not change. First of all, God's character is impeccable. That's the first fill-in. Now, in case you haven't, like, immutable... I wonder if there's opposites to those words, kind of like nonchalant. Do you know anybody who's chalant? Uh, we don't often use the word mutable, and we don't often use the word peckable, but here we're using the word impeccable. In case you haven't heard that word recently, it means free from fault, free from blame, ideal, immaculate, unblemished. And here's some things about his character that never change. First of all, his love can never be exhausted. God's love can never be exhausted. Remember when Moses came down from the, 
the mountain with the copy of the Ten Commandments from God. And he found the people involved in this drunken, idolatrous orgy around a golden calf. Moses was so angry that he felt like smashing something, and the only thing that he had was the Ten Commandments. And so Moses broke all Ten Commandments at a time. So he smashed the Ten Commandments tablet. And God was so angry that he actually threatened to wipe out the entire nation and start a new race with Moses playing the role of Abraham. But Moses confronted the people with their sin and pled with God for mercy. And the result was that God provided a second copy of the commandments. And as he handed these tablets, these new tablets, the second set to Moses, this is what he said in Exodus 34. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive rebellion and sin. God then went on to prove his love by leading them safely through the wilderness and eventually into Canaan. And along the way, they received miraculous provision of food and clothing and protection. Well, really, the clothing was just shoes that didn't wear out. You parents, wouldn't you love that for your kids? I, I wonder if they must have been sized to fit as the kids grew too. In this time, the Israelites experienced his personal guidance and victory over all their enemies. They were handed detailed instructions for the tabernacle and later on for the temple so that they could enjoy rich experiences in worship. How could these people ever doubt God's inexhaustible, inexhaustible compassion and grace, patience and faithfulness and forgiveness and love? Again, how could they doubt it? Certainly, a strong demonstration of God's enormous love was symbolized in the New Testament when the Lord's Supper was instituted, and I'm sure most of you remember that. Just before Jesus shared the loaf and the cup with his disciples on that Thursday evening, he humbly washed their feet. These 12 men had no idea how much Jesus loved them. They knew they loved him, but they had no idea how much he loved them and to what lengths he was about to go to prove it. The foot washing was only the beginning followed by that ultimate act of love, laying down his very life for his friends on the cross. Now let's face it, these guys weren't very easy to love. I think they were hard to love. Judas betrayed Jesus, of course, for 30 pieces of silver. I did, you know, went online and did a search, and that can be anywhere from $90 to $3,000. So I don't know, whatever, whatever the going rate for silver is. But anyway, you take it that he was going to get some money, and he basically sold Jesus out for that amount. Peter, James, and John fell asleep when Jesus was desperately in need of their prayer and moral support there in Galilee. And then when he was arrested, they ran away like little girls, frightened by that. They didn't stick up with him at all, regardless of making these outlandish, amazing commitments. You know, everybody else may forsake you, but not us. We're right there with you, Lord. And then they ran away. Later on, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. All those selfish acts would test anyone's love, but Jesus loved the disciples with immutable, unchanging, everlasting love regardless of what they did. That love included his compassion, 
his understanding, his grace, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. He would literally stop at nothing to prove it, up to and including death on the cross. We read this in Romans chapter 8. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? There may not be many things in this life you can be sure of. But according to Scripture in the example, one thing you can always be sure of is that God's love for you is rock solid. It's rock solid. It never changes. He loves us even when we're not easy to love. I want you to listen to Romans 8, 38 and 39 from the message. And by the way, the message isn't what you call a translation. It's what you call a commentary. And I think Eugene Peterson's got some great thoughts that he expresses in in the words that he uses for these verses. So let me read them to you. Who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backbiting, not even the worst sins listed in the scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. At the close of the service, Tommy's going to lead us in a time of communion. And what we're told to do during these communion times is to examine ourselves for sinful actions and attitudes that need to be confessed to him. Many times we don't even want to admit these things to ourselves, let alone to God. But when we come to God honestly and humbly, even sheepishly, you can count on his response. It's almost as if you can sense him holding your face in his hands, making eye contact and saying, I really love you. I completely forgive you. I'm willing and able to empower you to be victorious over this. God's love for you never stretches too thin. God's love for you doesn't snap. It never ceases because it is immutable. God's love for you is unchanging, everlasting. Nothing you have ever done or ever will do can ever change that. The inexhaustible love of God is what we might call the positive or warm side of his character. But his love is perfectly balanced with what we call the hot side of his character. And this is the aspect of God that is just as as unchanging, just as immutable. And that is his righteousness can never be compromised. His righteousness can never be compromised. God extended grace to Israel by not wiping them out after the golden calf uh, incident. 
He provided another copy of the law which gave very clear instruction for every part of their lives. The Ten Commandments is like um, a preamble uh, to the law, a preamble to everything that he had to say to them, and there are three broad portions to the law of God. They cover moral laws and civil laws and ceremonial laws. Moral laws have to do with personal integrity. They have to do with honesty, sexual purity, those kinds of things. Civil laws have to do with government, how the government was to be run and how justice was to be served. And the third part was ceremonial laws, had to do with how worship was to be conducted in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. In each section, there were clear-cut promises for obedience and penalties for disobedience. These penalties included everything from restitution for stolen or damaged possessions to death for murder in the first degree. Sin could be forgiven through the offering of blood sacrifices, but in most cases, violators still experienced consequences for their actions. So God adds this addendum to the statement that he made earlier about how his Love never changes, and it is complete. And it says this, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That, of course, is why Jesus had to go to the cross. A totally righteous, holy God simply could not overlook sin. He had to deal with it. He had to deal with it severely and completely. And so Jesus took the blows, and we know that from what the Scripture tells us, right? He took the blows. He, took, he was the ultimate sacrifice for sins for the entire world. I want you to listen very carefully. It's easy for us to get the idea that God has kind of mellowed with age over the years when it comes to his attitude towards sin. Since Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross... All past, present, and future sins are under the blood of Christ. Therefore, daily sin isn't that big a deal because with a quick prayer, it can be wiped out. Kind of like Etch-A-Sketch. Like that. And it's gone. And a matter of fact, we're very familiar with this verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If I put my trust in Christ... I'm eternally secure and exempt from any serious consequences from sin. And when I come before him and stand before him in judgment, he'll say something like, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. All is forgiven. You have nothing to worry about. Now go out and play again. It's all going to be fine. Dear friends, we need to understand the difference between eternal forgiveness and temporal consequences. Know the difference between eternal forgiveness and temporal consequences. The moment we receive Christ as Savior, we become a child of God, and nothing can change that. But as a child of God, we are subject to something called discipline. Discipline. Consequences for sinful attitudes and actions. Hebrews, oops, I better not, I'll stay on that one. Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. 
My child, pay attention when the Lord disciplines you. Don't give up when he corrects you. The Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He severely disciplines everyone he accepts as his child. The consequences for our sin may be physical, they may be emotional or financial or relational. When they come, they are part of proving God's love, their acts of discipline, but they also vindicate his righteousness. The encouraging news is that if we respond humbly to his discipline, we grow stronger and more mature. And that's the essence of Hebrews 12, 11. Being punished isn't enjoyable while, it, uh, while it's happening. It hurts. But afterwards, we can see the result, a quiet growth in grace and character. I want to wrap up this section of God's unchanging love for us. I hope I'm hitting this in the right way. Okay. Um, with a word to those of you who may not yet have come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Some see God as so totally loving and compassionate that he could never hold anybody accountable for sin. But remember that a righteous God simply cannot overlook it or tolerate it. There's no way God's holiness can be bought off or begged off, wined or dined. God has provided only one remedy for your sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood needs to be applied. It needs to be applied to our sin. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens when we surrender our hearts to him. On the other hand, you may see God as so totally righteous that there is no way he could ever forgive and receive the likes of you or the likes of me. But God's love and the, the blood of Christ is stronger than any sin you've ever committed. It's, again, as if he takes our face in his hands, looks us in the eye and says, I really love you. I completely forgive you. Welcome to my family. He's been saving people like us for over 2,000 years. He's really good at it by now. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Not only is his character, character impeccable, but God's word is indelible. It is completely accurate. Completely accurate. This is Shepherd of the Valley, what church? Bible church. Boy, that was weak. Shepherd of the Valley. Thank you very much. Okay. And you were founded on the fact that the Bible is authoritative and accurate. Amen? You believe everything the Bible says about God and man and time and eternity and history and prophecy and heaven and hell and right and wrong and condemnation and salvation. At Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church, there is an assumption that you always start with um, when you come together in teaching times like this, and that is that the Bible is completely accurate. It's completely accurate. It's our authoritative guide in all matters of faith and practice, from our lifestyle <clears throat> to worship to ministry, even in our voting. How many of you believe everything you read in the Oregonian? How many of you read the Oregonian? I just read it online sometimes, Oregon Line. How many believe everything you hear on Fox News? Oh, not so, huh? Okay. USA Today? What about the Bible? Okay. You believe everything you read in the Bible. Well, that's, that's really important. Keep that in mind. In matters 
because it speaks about things like race relations and abortion and gender identity and homosexuality. Were more, those were moral and spiritual issues long before they were political issues. God was speaking to those things in his word. And that's why we need to be good students of his word. Because the word of God is accurate, completely accurate, but it's also constantly relevant. It's constantly relevant. It speaks with clarity on issues that affect us every day of our lives. What God said about these things thousands of years ago is completely true and is practical today. What he says about marriage and divorce, what he says about parents and children, what he says about gender and sexuality, what he says about employers and employees and time and money and work and leisure and attitudes and actions. These principles from God's word are eternal Psalm 119, by the way, that whole long, long chapter in the Psalms has the Word of God referred to in every one of the verses. Your Word, Lord, stands firm in the heaven forever. Isaiah chapter 40. Man is like the grace, uh, like the grass and dies away, and all his beauty fades like dying flowers. The grass withers, the, the flower fades Beneath the breath of God, and so it is with the fragile man. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Even though it is ancient, it's still powerful and dynamic. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. God's word is active and, or alive and powerful. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. His sword can... His word can cut through our spirits and souls and even through our joints and marrow until it discovers the desires and thoughts of our hearts. Now, I know I've been preaching to the choir about this part for the most, mostly. Say, oh, yeah, I believe that. Amen. Shepherd of Valley, Bible Church. We believe that it is accurate. We believe that it's relevant. Um, I think we are coming into a time when those things need to be put to the test, and they are being put to the test by the cultural issues that we are faced to deal with now every day. They're like right in our face. And unfortunately, a lot of times when these cultural issues are coming up because our society is changing, we, emotion, we uh, react emotionally to them. Oh, well, that's just not right. Well, that's bad. You know, we know this and that and everything else. Unfortunately, what we often don't have is a reasonable reasonable biblical answer to the challenges that are being faced to those issues daily. And so we're in a time when we need to dig in and dig in deeper. What does the Bible actually say about these things? How does it shape our thinking? How does it shape our actions as we're constantly faced with a culture that is going further and further and further from God? Again, it's not enough just to get angry and react at them. We need to go deeper and say, what does God's word say? We need to give, as Peter talks about, a reason for the hope that is within us. One of the things that uh, I appreciate about a church that we've been attending uh, close to where we live in Portland is that periodically they have, uh, they've had these evening seminars on what the Bible, how the Bible speaks to the, the cultural issues that we're dealing with today so that the believers can be equipped with biblical answers 
and biblical thinking in responding to them. You have a very thoughtful pastor. You have one who loves the word and delves deeply into the word and feeds you from the word. And that's an important thing. And I hope that you'll continue to do that and that you won't shy away from digging in and saying, it's not enough to react. We need to respond biblically. And we need to understand the truths that we find in Scripture to become real workmen and workwomen in the Word. Again, we don't just get emotional about the Bible and sing another verse of the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. We need to submit ourselves to its authority, and to do that, we need to be students of the Word. We need to be students of the Word Right now, I believe in the areas that I've mentioned. In a changing world, we can always count on the fact that God's character is impeccable, that his word is indelible, and that his purpose is unalterable. His plan is marvelous. He does have a specific plan for each of us here today. In broad terms, his plan is for our salvation and our sanctification. Our salvation from sin and our sanctification, that means becoming more and more like Jesus. Scripture bears this out, of course, 1 Timothy 2, 4. God wants everyone to be saved and to fully understand the truth. That's what we're just talking about, to fully understand the truth. Romans 8, 29, God knew his people in advance And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In more specific terms, we have been designed from birth and from rebirth to serve and glorify him in a unique way. We're going to actually open this book today and um, turn to Psalm 139. Now, you know, we're actually getting more uh, historical now because it used to be we talked about opening our Bibles and it's like this. But now, since we do a lot of this, a lot, I'm, I usually just use a device. So it's very biblical to say, would you scroll with me? <laughs> you know, let's scroll together toward the right passage. So Psalm 139, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We talk about God putting our bodies together, our personalities together, really, in the womb, before we were physically born. But then when we're born again, God also did some work of creation in us, first uh, Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 12, beginning of verse 7, says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. There are different kinds of serving, but the same Lord is served. There are different abilities to perform service, but the same God gives ability to all for their particular service. The Spirit's presence is, no, is shown in some way in each person for the good of all. There's a definite process, I believe, by which we find God's specific purpose for our life. But you need to know that God does have a specific, marvelous purpose for you. You discover what that is 
and then you pursue it without looking back. Now, some of those things, we just look at the right in front of us. They involve parenting and marriage and being a homemaker, a career path, a church member, some kind of personal ministry. And then we are assured that God will stop at nothing to make his purpose accomplished in our life because his power is enormous. His plan, his plan is marvelous and his power is enormous. Romans 8, 28, this is another passage we love. God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They are the ones God has chosen for his purpose. God is able to weave together even the most painful, confusing, difficult experience into the, experiences into the tapestry of our lives. Philippians 1.6, God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Now I have to admit, I can preach this stuff a lot easier than I can live it. But the reality is that the examples of history and the clear teaching of scripture uh, is before us for a reason. But we're in the middle of the, the mess. We're in the middle of the confusion and we don't know who to believe or what to believe. And we can ask, where is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Where's the God who parted the waters for Moses and killed giant for David? Maybe that was God in his prime, but the years have taken their toll on him. Perhaps we're seeing some signs of divine deterioration, some cracks in the plaster. He's winding down. He's losing some of his, of his stuff. Maybe like me, he's gone into semi-retirement. I mean, it's not like he's completely retired, but he's certainly not as engaged as he used to be. But grasping the concept of immutability reminds me that God has not, and will he ever, run low. He'll never run low on power or wisdom or love or compassion or understanding. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other God. I am God, there is no one like me. Before something even happens, I announce how it will end. In fact, from times long ago, I announced what is still to come. I say my plan will succeed. I will do anything I want to do. If you're feeling a little insecure, kind of storm-tossed, confused, um, I want you to get a firm toehold on three things about God that do not change. God's character does not change. His love and his righteousness don't change. So go ahead and trust him again. Go ahead and trust him again. God's word doesn't change. So dig in and get an understanding of truth. Even as it relates to the cultural things that we've been talking about, dig in. You can count on God's word. It is indelible. It does not change. And the third thing is that God's purpose for your life does not change. The gifts and callings of God, Scripture says, are irrevocable. Recommit yourself to becoming the person that God has created you to be. I ask you to join me in prayer. Jesus, these are big truths. They're enormous truths, and they have enormous impact in our lives when we recall them. 
when we let them flow through our minds and they become the filters through which we evaluate life and the filters through which we evaluate the things that we're hearing on a constant basis and the things that we're doing with our lives, the priorities of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that as individual, individuals, you'll bring us back to this. And Lord, I pray this as well for Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church. Give them renewed confidence of your character, of your love, of your righteousness. Give them renewed confidence in your word, and with that confidence, I pray that you'd motivate them to dig in more deeply, especially as it relates to the challenges that we're facing in our thinking in our world today. And then to grasp that purpose to become more and more like Jesus and to realize that it can happen because of your power. Thank you, Father, for this church. Thank you for these people. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them that renewed confidence today in who you are and what you do. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.